home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Thumb and Hammer Podcast. My name is Doug, and today I will be revisiting the recurring topic of the biggest mistakes homeowners make. Previously, I've talked about skipping the home inspection, getting work done without a contract, and overestimating and underestimating costs. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the home improvements themselves, specifically the over-under of home improvements. So let's get started with over-improving because that's something we hear about a lot, and it's also something that is so incredibly easy to do. Imagine the scenario. You have bought a house in a subdivision. It's kind of cookie cutter, but it works for you. Okay? So maybe it's not going to be featured in any magazines, and maybe it's starting to show its age in some spots, but it's clean and comfortable, and it's all you really need. Got it? You are content. Well, one night you and your significant other are watching HGTV. (laughs) Need I say more? As you watch the renovations taking place on the small screen, you start to look around at your place. Geez, you know, our kitchen is kind of looking outdated. Maybe we could do something like they did on that show. Ooh, did you see that marble countertop? Wouldn't a marble countertop look good in our kitchen? And the bathroom. A separate tub and shower. What luxury. I bet we have enough room to do that in ours. We just have to move some plumbing around. And so it starts. You decide that it's time to do a kitchen remodel. After all, you've read that kitchens and bathrooms offer the highest return on your renovation spending. So whatever money you put in, you'll be increasing the value of your house, right? (laughs) Let me interrupt here for a second. Be careful with those articles that talk about return on investment for home improvements. They are not usually talking about profit. You almost never recoup 100%. Good value tends to be around, what, 80% or so. That means if you spend 50 grand on a kitchen, you might increase the value of your house by 40 grand. That means that 10 grand has gone poof. Now, a lot depends on your location and the comps and the markets and stuff like that. There are a lot of factors at work here, and it gets complicated. But for our purposes here and now, you can't assume spending 50 grand on a kitchen now will get you 50 grand more for your house when you sell. Anyway, you decide to remodel your kitchen. So you start scrolling through Pinterest. I don't use Pinterest. What do you do? Pin things or something? So you're scrolling and you're pinning and you have a pretty good idea of what you want to do. Then you go to a designer and work out plans for the perfect layout. Or maybe you do it in SketchUp or even on the back of a napkin. Whatever the case, you now have a plan. Now, you could choose your cabinets from Ikea or one of the big box stores, but 
those are mostly particle board and MDF, aren't they? Why not spend a little extra and get custom-made cabinets with plywood boxes and solid wood doors and drawer fronts? And what about the countertop? Sure, there are nice-looking laminates, but if you're going to the trouble and expense of a kitchen renovation, you might as well go all in and get granite or quartz. And then there's the sink and the faucet and the backsplash and lighting and flooring and so on and so on and scooby-dooby-doo. That's a Sly and Family Stone reference there. With each decision, you decide to spend a couple extra bucks for an upgrade. And by the time the dust clears, you have nickel and dimed your way from a $20,000 kitchen reno to a $50,000 dream kitchen. You know, give or take. Well, let's assume that money is not an issue. This dream kitchen is well within your budget. So, it's all good. The problem comes when you decide to sell your house a few years later. Maybe you got transferred or you decide to upsize or downsize. Whatever the case, you are putting your house on the market. Well, how much is your house worth? Let's see. You paid $250,000 for the house. You spent $50,000 for the kitchen renovation. So, you probably want to get $300,000. I mean... That's only fair, right? Well, let's keep it simple and not assume any increase in property values. The houses in your neighborhood are selling for around 250000 Of course, they don't have your dream kitchen. But is a potential buyer going to see the value in spending the extra fifty grand on your house? Or will they be satisfied with spending less and living with a laminate countertop and particle board cabinets in one of those other houses. That, right there, is the problem with over-improving. I'll give you another example. When I was first looking at open houses back in the mid-1990s, the typical price range of a simple two-bedroom house was somewhere in the 70s and 80s, somewhere between $69,000 and $89,000, depending on the neighborhood. And in the particular neighborhood where I was looking, the prices tended towards the lower end. It was a working class area, not far from an industrial area. Well, there was this one house where they were asking in the upper $80,000 range. I think they were asking $89,000. Now, we all know that Real estate is location, location, location. And sure, you could find houses in this price range, but not in this neighborhood. The price was more typical in the more, shall we say, middle-class neighborhoods away from the industrialized area where this house was. Okay, so a house at this price point was not typical for the neighborhood. It must have been something special, right? Well, at first glance, not really. It was a single floor, two-bedroom house, probably around 800 square feet or so. Bedrooms were average size. It was on a small lot. And the living room, the first impression when you first walked in the front door, the living room was tiny. There was barely any room for a sofa and TV. 
I mean, granted, this was back in the day when TVs were boxes that were as deep as they were wide, but if memory serves me right, there wasn't room for a coffee table, or if there was, then there was barely any room to walk by. Now, forgive me, because I am going by memory here, and we are talking about a house that I looked at a quarter century ago, but I could probably touch the walls on both sides of the room at the same time. You know what I mean? So my first thought was, this was not going to be a house where you could do any kind of entertaining. Super Bowl Sunday? Out of the question. But the selling point of this house was the kitchen. Specifically, the brand new $8,000 custom dream kitchen, as it was described on the information sheet. Now, that doesn't sound like much today, but back then, it was a lot of money, especially for a kitchen of that size. It was a fairly big kitchen with beautiful cabinets and a mirrored backsplash. The backsplash was what made the kitchen seem huge. Now, I don't remember what material the countertops were. Frankly, it didn't matter. I was tripped up, literally, by the size of the living room. I don't care how big or fancy the kitchen was, I was feeling claustrophobic as soon as I walked through the front door. I'd seen other houses where the rooms were better scaled, and those houses were selling for a lot less. Nice kitchen, though. It was just out of place in that house and in that neighborhood. Location makes a difference. There is a rule in real estate that you never want to have the best house in the neighborhood. It has to do with the comps. And that's something to keep in mind when you renovate. That was the concept that my wife and I clung to when we lived in the money pit. The house that we lived in before the one we're in now. Now, we weren't really in a neighborhood. It was a little more rural than that. And there were more expensive houses nearby, including a multi-million dollar mansion that went up on the 24-acre lot right next to us. All of that should help our property values. People told us that we were lucky that whatever money we put into the house, we would most likely get out because of the houses that we were surrounded by. And we believed them. Of course, they weren't real estate experts, and <laughs> neither were we. But we drank the Kool-Aid. Even when we were faced with major structural repairs, we told ourselves that once we put everything back together, we would eventually get that money back. You see, we had to gut much of the house in order to take care of the structure, so we were kind of forced to renovate. And we chose high-end finishes and fixtures because, well, we figured that that was our best chance to really increase the value of our house. And like I said, one of our neighbors was a multi-million dollar mansion. And when we were planning to rebuild the addition, we had the same mindset. Our house on our property would see that investment returned. 
Not that we were planning to flip the house. No, 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 no. This was our forever house. But we'd seen enough house flipping shows to think that we were making wise investments. I mean, if somebody can buy a million dollar house and put half a million in renovations and then sell it for three million, surely we could at least break even on our modest house? Yeah. No, as it turns out. Sometime during the planning for the addition, I got cold feet. Being house rich and cash poor (laughs) just wasn't appealing. And that's when we decided to sell. But we were still considering rebuilding the addition as a flip. Until we talked to a real estate agent and found out that our house would not have the value that we thought it would. Her advice was to stop spending money. Actually, I believe her exact words were along the lines of, I forbid you to spend any more money. That house was something special. Like I said, it was our forever house. Until it wasn't. The point is that we were assuming the whole time we were living there that we would eventually see a good return on our investment. But that certainly wasn't the case in the short term. And that brings up an interesting point. We should have talked to a real estate agent early on in the process to determine whether we were spending money in the right places. A lot of real estate agents offer free property evaluations. Now, they offer this service because it helps them build a database of potential clients. So, why not call them up? Say that you're interested in finding out what your house is worth. Be honest with them, if you're not planning to sell, but in all likelihood, they still want to know how the different houses in the neighborhood compare. It's useful information for them. Plus, if they do have a client for whom your house is a good fit, you might get a call down the road to see if you're interested in selling at that time. The theory is that everybody has their price. If somebody offered the right amount, you might consider selling even if you weren't planning to. So anyway, get that market evaluation. Ask about the improvements that you are planning to make. Nobody knows the value of houses in your neighborhood better than a real estate agent. And they have nothing to gain or lose by giving you an opinion about your planned home improvements. At least now, you are armed with information before you embark on your home renovation adventure. Now, I've basically been talking about the danger of over-improving, but at the end of the day, if I may use that overused expression, it's your house. Too often we are concerned with maintaining or increasing value. We look at home improvements as investments. And maybe sometimes that's just not the best approach. Your house is your shelter. It's a place for your stuff. And with all that in mind, you have to understand what your reason is for wanting to renovate. Going back to that kitchen renovation that we talked about earlier. Why do you want to renovate? 
Is it because it needs it? Or is it just because you want to? How is that kitchen functioning? Could you freshen things up with a coat of paint and maybe some new drawer pulls? Or does it legitimately need the whole HGTV makeover? Keep in mind that if you're looking at the long term, say 20 years, (laughs) any renovation you do today will likely be outdated when you decide to sell anyway. So the buyer might just plan to do a gun and remodel of their own. But in the short term, a coat of paint and new drawer pulls may offer you better ROI than a complete renovation. That is, if you're looking at this from the investment angle. The point I'm trying to make here is that instead of worrying about return on investment and resale value, focus on yourself and how the space works for you. Who gives a flying fig Newton about hypothetical buyer in the future? It's your house. Renovate for you. Just make sure you go into it knowing the financial ramifications. There are experts who will tell you that if your house is not meeting your needs, you are better off selling it and buying a house that does meet your needs. So let's take a look at the following example. Let's say you have a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. It's perfect for your family and you are happy with it. Maybe you just put some money in a new furnace and, you know, you, you don't have anything to worry about for a while. Everything's in good shape. The neighborhood is great. You have wonderful neighbors that you get along with. You are close to highly rated schools. You are close to mass transit. You have a short drive to work. Over the years, you have painted and decorated inside and out. You've landscaped. You have put your personal stamp on the house. It is the very definition of a forever house. But then, something happens. Let's say your father passes away. Your mom can't take care of her house on her own. It's too big. It's too much work. So she looks at apartments or smaller houses, but you kind of worry about her being on her own. You know, she's not ready to move into a retirement home yet. So, after much discussion, you decide that she can move in with you. She can be around her grandchildren, and you can be sure that she's doing okay. It's a good plan. Except you don't have a bedroom for her. So, you look into building a small addition. A bedroom with an ensuite bath. The only thing is, you will now have a four-bedroom, three-bathroom house in a neighborhood of three-bedroom homes. You will be over-improving. That addition is not going to add enough value to the house to justify the expense of the addition. The experts will tell you that you should be looking for a four-bedroom house rather than spending money on the addition. But then you would be starting over with another house, with another neighborhood, with other schools. So, what do you do? You see, there are a lot of other factors going into the decision 
than just the monetary investment. In this case, over-improving may make sense to you. Here's the deal. Let's go back to the kitchen example. Every house, every comp in your neighborhood has laminate countertops. If you put in granite countertops, you are probably over-improving and it won't necessarily add the value to your house to justify the expense. If you sell in five years, you have wasted that money and made the mistake of over-improving. But that's ignoring the fact that, you know what, you don't like laminate countertops and you love, love, love your granite countertop. You spend a lot of time in your kitchen and that makes you very happy. Whereas you may not have been so happy if you settled for something else. Your kitchen renovation works for you. So maybe you don't get your so-called investment out of it. Maybe spending as much as you did doesn't make sense on paper, but it makes sense for you. As long as you're not expecting to get that investment out of it, was it really a mistake? After all, if you were happy, doesn't that count for something? So, that's over-improving. On the other side of the coin, we have under-improving. And that can be the bigger mistake of the two. Let's say you have a mini executive McMansion in a neighborhood of mini executive McMansions. And let's just say that kitchen has seen its better days. A comparable kitchen renovation may cost you $75,000, but you know what? Maybe that's more than you can afford. Or maybe spending that amount of money with little kids running around adding to the wear and tear just seems like a bad idea. Maybe you are satisfied with a basic Ikea kitchen. It's good enough for you. Here's the problem with that. When it comes time to sell, that Ikea kitchen might actually deter buyers. In a house at that price point, an Ikea kitchen just isn't going to fly. You see the difference? An over-improved house may not give you ROI, may not give you a return on investment, but the over-improvement is still a selling point. Not so much with under-improvements. You stand to lose a lot more than just the cost of the improvement. So that's something to keep in mind before you buy a house at the upper end of what you can afford because there is an expectation of more expensive finishes in a more expensive house. And I want to point out here that I have nothing against Ikea. I like Ikea and I'm considering Ikea for our own kitchen. I'm just saying that at a certain price point, there's a certain expectation. It's all about finding the right balance, spending the right amount of money in the right places. There's no reason why you can't enjoy certain upgrades without venturing into over-improvement territory. In fact, it often doesn't make sense not to spend a little extra money for better finishes. 
You just have to do the research, and the math has to make sense. A good example of this is laminate floors. There is a wide range of quality and prices. You can go the cheap route, get something that's going to last 5 to 10 years. Or you can spend more for something that's commercially rated that will last you at least twice as long. And when you're figuring out the cost of all this, be sure to factor in the labor, even if you're doing it yourself. Which floor is going to look better if you decide to sell after five years? Like I said, the math has to make sense. The difference between $1,000 and $1,500 isn't as much as the difference between $10,000 and $15,000, even though percentage-wise they are exactly the same. But as a ratio to the overall valuation of your house, the difference is much more significant. And while we're talking about math here, you got to keep track of the nickels and dimes. I mean, to continue with the flooring example, you have one product that's $4.50 a square foot. Product number two is $5.50 a square foot. And maybe there's a third choice that's only three seventy-five a square foot. Now, a buck or two per square foot doesn't really seem like a whole lot, does it? No, until you are doing 400 square feet of floor. Now you're talking about a price range of between $1,500 and $2,200. Which do you choose? And why? And like I said, you can't ignore the labor cost. The labor is going to be constant, regardless of the price of material. So, let's go cheap. 400 square feet for 375 a square foot is $1,500 for materials. Reasonable. But after five years of wear and tear, it's probably due to be replaced. Whereas the more expensive floors are still going to look good. So now you're looking at replacing the floor and it's going to cost you another $1,500 just in materials. It would have been cheaper to spend $5.50 on the most expensive choice in the first place. But let's say you're putting the house on the market. Would spending that extra money have made sense? Well, it depends. There's the stock answer to all of these questions. It depends. A potential buyer could look at that floor and realize that they have to replace it within a couple years. And that could factor into their offer or whether they even make an offer to begin with. So, how much are you really saving by going with the cheapest option? Of course, a potential buyer could also look at the most expensive floor and decide that they'll be replacing it with, say, solid hardwood flooring anyway. So, like I said, there's no really easy answers here. Well, up until now, I've basically been talking about eye candy. The stuff that you see. And it's really easy to get distracted by shiny objects. It's tempting to cut corners on the stuff you don't see because, well, out of sight, out of mind. But that could end up costing you big time. 
You can do the prettiest finishes with the fanciest materials, but if the underlying structure isn't good, you are just wasting your money. By law, if you open up a wall, you are supposed to bring whatever is behind it up to code. And that makes perfect sense. The problem is, upgrading plumbing and electrical just isn't sexy. But it would also suck if you had to rip out your improvements in the future for the sake of saving a few dollars today. When we had the major renovation done on our money pit, the contractors used cement board under the tiles. They did not use an uncoupling membrane such as DITRA. That's that orange stuff that gets laid out under the tile and helps prevent cracked grout and tile. I said that I wanted the membrane. They said that it would be too expensive, that I would be spending money unnecessarily, and that they never had problems with the way they were doing it. So, stupid me, let them talk me out of the DITRA. Well, at first, I was happy with saving money. I mean, money in my pocket is a good place for money to be, you know? And the tile looked good. That is, until the grout started cracking. Until we had a couple cracked tiles that I had to replace. Now, had we stayed in that house, we would have had two choices. Either constantly chase after the cracked tiles and grout, or disassemble our new bathroom in order to rip out all the tiles in the bathroom and hallway so that we could install them properly with an uncoupling membrane. Saving a few hundred dollars could cost thousands. But there would be no immediate difference in the appearance of the tiles, regardless of what was under them. As I said, home improvements is about finding a balance between what you spend and how it affects the value of your house. Don't fall into the trap of being dazzled by shiny objects, chasing after what you see on HGTV or Pinterest or Instagram. And don't fall into the trap of assuming that you're going to be receiving this great return on your investment. If the financial angle is important to you, consult with a real estate expert in your area to determine whether you are spending your money in the right places. But, most importantly, When all is said and done, remember that it is your house. Do what makes sense for you. Do what makes you happy. Because maybe for you, return on investment is not just measured in dollars and cents. And with that, I would like to say thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Thumb and Hammer podcast. As always, you can find me at thumbandhammer.com or on Twitter at thumbandhammer. You can also reach me by email by going to thumbandhammer.com slash contact. I welcome any questions or suggestions for future topics or for ways that I can make this podcast better. Talk to you again in a couple weeks. Cheers.